0: The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So this from Pema Chodron. It's very helpful to realize that being here, sitting in meditation, doing simple every everyday things like working, walking outside, talking with people, bathing, using the toilet, and eating, is actually all that we need to be fully awake, fully alive, fully human. While we are sitting in meditation, we are simply exploring humanity and all of creation in the form of ourselves. We can become the world's greatest experts on anger, jealousy, and self-deprecation, as well as on joyfulness, clarity, and insight. Everything that human beings feel, we feel. We can become extremely wise and sensitive to all of humanity and the whole universe simply by knowing ourselves just as we are. So, everything we need is right here. You know, right in this sometimes achy, breaky heart. This achy, breaky body. Um, It's right here if we pay attention. But we're so used to paying attention in an outward focus. You know, we're doing this or that. We're producing this or that. We're consuming this or that. That when you come to sit and practice these heart-mind contemplative practices, and, and you get basically you're invited to turn the lens around take a look at what's what's happening here inside um, and to try to do it in an undistracted way that's really hard you know we're not wired like that I mean, and we have got to give ourselves some slack I mean we are um, the, the usual tracks that the mind jumps to when we sit down and get quiet are um, psychobiologically engineered in us for survival. That's where the mind goes. The mind thinks. And so it's scanning all over the place. You know, It's scanning for maybe some threats or some danger. It's scanning for something that we want or think we need you know, some extra comfort, or it's planning to try to get everything organized so we have enough resources, enough money, or whatever, whatever it is, or it's scanning for that new relationship that maybe we want, or it's thinking about a relationship we want to fix, or it's scanning our life and remembering past events. I mean, it's just active all the time, and it's designed for survival. And it works, I mean, there's over 7 billion, you know, soon we'll be at 8 billion, maybe, you know. But, um, but this dual drive for security and survival, although it's been very effective, it's worked well over the eons for us as humans, it has its limits, you know, try as you might, um, you can't control everything, but yet each morning, kind of, you get up and you try to organize things so that everything is to your advantage, and that's what you do all day long. You know. So, because you can't control it all. I mean, you're prone to feeling over and over again the the kind of frustration and disappointment when things don't go exactly as you want them to go, you know, and unable to get it all right. You can't. But maybe you think, well, I'm not that far off. If I can just tweak this or tweak that, then it'll have it all together. If I can just finally organize my paperwork in my office, you know, you know that one? I know that one. Or maybe you want to get in shape, or you want a better job, or a better relationship, or fix the one you have. You know, or maybe when the kids go off to college, maybe that'll clear it all out. So it's a win-win-win. You know, living in the state of win. You probably all remember um, psychology 101. They used to the intermittent reinforcement where they'd run the rats through the and, and they teach the poor little rat to push a, lev- a lever, and they get a little food pellet. And um, but it was intermittent; the rat never knew when it was going to come down, so it just kept pushing that lever endlessly until the little fur was worn off the little feet, you know. But this is what psychologists <laughs> do. <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I'm driving at, because. Be- because you're able to manipulate the environment sometimes, and in some instances, to some degree, you know, you can control things a little bit. You really start to believe in it that it's, you know, that salvation might be found in manipulating the environment completely. And if you take that to the, take that, that sometimes conscious but sometimes unconscious belief to the nth degree, you know, that, that you've invested your whole well-being and your ability to control things. It's just not going to work out very well. You know, bending nature to your will, um, you know, it works out sometimes, but circumstances shift. It generally doesn't work with other people, trying to get them to do what we want, and you end up upset. Uh, Hafiz, the Persian poet, has a nice um, poem that I like. It has some humor in it. And in the poem, he's using the word God. um, But you can also substitute uh, nature, uh, the source, or the way, so to speak. Jealousy, and most all of your sufferings are from believing you know better than God. Of course, such a special brand of arrogance as that always proves disastrous and will rip the seams in your caravan tent, then cordially invite in many species of mean, biting flies and strange thoughts that will beat you up. So that's what happens, you know. We're going through life. Our little caravan tent gets torn up and all kinds of things crawl in to our mind and body and uh, do what they do. So he's sensing that misplaced assumption in, uh, you know, that we act on or subconsciously may believe that it is possible to control everything, to supersede nature in every possible way. And I'm not even going to get in to talk about old age, sickness, and death. But those are big ones. <clears throat> so we have this natural energy, this natural predile- predilection to manipulate our world to survive. It's been a good thing. But when our total happiness gets invested in something that is impossible, ah. Uh, that's just suffering, it really is. So, no matter what you do, you can't quite catch up to it. Never quite get it all together, that long to-do list, or the iPhone reminders. Sometimes that list gets so long on my phone, and it's like, now that I can talk into it, and I don't have to go the little fingers and just add all kinds of things that I'll probably never get to. Yeah. I imagine when I die, I mean, I got these. I use still use yellow pads. Being a dinosaur, that um, I have my little burial spot right near my house. It's gonna be a green burial, and uh, somebody will find my yellow pad, the list of things I didn't get to. Hopefully, they'll know enough to just toss it in there with me when the backhoe <laughs> fills it in. So, in in for for the idea that we can control everything in New Jersey, the word that was always, forget about it, just n- not going to be. So life, it, we've, we've been born into this messy life. And it will never completely get together. Uh, Ann Carson, the poet, she has this acerbic line that it's truthful. Uh, she says, no, it's not going to clear up or make sense or come out into the open somewhere. This welter of disorder and pain is our life. I mean, that sounds kind of, kind of negative. But if you look at it in terms of, like, oh, all right, this is what it is. There's some freedom in that. As opposed to, you know, trying to get everything lined up and everybody lined up so they do what we want. So the question with the spiritual practice is, how do we find peace and happiness beyond conditions, which most of them we can't control? I mean, the Buddha was very realistic and practical in his teaching about this. And he wanted to simplify things as much as possible. He had, a, In his 45 years of teaching, he had quite a range of, of people that he worked with. Illiterate peasants, uh, people that probably they had trouble communication, different dialects and languages, and there were so many different languages in Northern India at the time. Royalty, Brahmins, all these different people. So he was always looking, it seemed to me, he was always looking for something simple that he could like, you know, that everybody could get and, and benefit from. So he said this, within this fathom long body is the world, the cessation of the world, and the path leading to the cessation of the world. Now what in the world does he mean by that? You know, uh, boiling it down, I and mean, he's really talking about the Four Noble Truths there, but boiling it down, he's he's saying that based on his personal experience, and whether you believe it was through courses of lifetimes that he practiced the Buddhist cosmology stuff, but anyway, just based on his personal experience, that the body is a perfect vehicle for awakening, just paying attention to it. That if you put your attention right there, it's enough. It doesn't have to be all fancy or complicated. So utilizing this body for the cultivation of mindfulness and samadhi, which is a generation of the power of the heart and mind, um, is really the medium, an easy medium, uh, an ever-present medium uh, that can bring us greater peace and happiness. So, the stability and calm, and maybe you experienced it in some of the guided meditation that we did, but putting our attention on the body, it really does or can create a stability and calm in the mind that creates that kind of move into a relaxed presence, just experiencing this aliveness. When we're relaxed like that, and 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 aware and awake to this aliveness, to this aliveness, the heart <clears throat> its tendency is to open a little more. You know, and there's greater capacity to, to see more clearly. You know, to penetrate into our experience. So there's this natural arising of wisdom and compassion, just resting our attention in this body. I mean, mindfulness, I mean, there's a word that's been overused in our culture. Twenty years ago, nobody really knew what it was, or just a few esoteric, strange people. Uh, but now it's like, it's It's mindfulness. It's everywhere. So, a a short definition, if some of you are learning these practices now, it's really just a special way of being aware of what is going on in the present moment. It's a a clear and single-minded awareness of what's going on externally and internally. And so, um, I want to share with you a simile that, that the Buddha uh, where he compares mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, with a post that's anchored deep in the ground. And he says, uh, just as if a person catching six animals of different ranges, of different habitats, were to bind them with a strong rope. Okay, six animals, six senses. All right, that's, you know, <clears throat> catching a snake. He would bind it with a strong rope, catching a crocodile, a bird, a dog, a hyena, a monkey. He would bind it with a strong rope, binding them all with a strong rope. He would tether them to a strong post or stake. Then, those six animals of different ranges, of different habitats, would each pull toward its own range and habitat. The snake would pull thinking, I'll go into the anthill. The crocodile would pull thinking, I'll go into the water. The bird would pull thinking, I'll fly up into the air. The dog would pull thinking, I'll go into the village. The hyena the hyena would pull thinking, I'll go into the charnel ground. The monkey would pull thinking, I'll go into the forest. And when these six animals became internally exhausted, they would stand, sit or lie down right there next to the poster stake. In the same way, when a monk whose mindfulness immersed in the body is developed and pursued. The eye does not pull toward pleasing forms, and unpleasing forms are not repellent. The ear does not pull toward pleasing sounds, the nose does not pull toward pleasing aromas, the tongue does not pull toward pleasing flavors, the body does not pull toward pleasing tactile sensations, the intellect does not pull toward pleasing ideas, and unpleasing ideas are not repellent. This monk's is restraint. The strong poster stake is a term for mindfulness immersed in the body. Thus, you should train yourselves. We will develop mindfulness immersed in the body. We will pursue it. Hand it the reins and take it as a basis. Give it a grounding. We will steady it, consolidate it, and set about it properly. That's how you should train yourselves. A teacher of mine always used to say that you can't be overwhelmed if you're aware of your body. I mean, you might explore that sometime when you get really overwhelmed and were you aware of your breath or your breathing or any of the contact points, you know. Uh, I just taught a uh, retreat up in Maryland a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> there was an interesting question near the end of the near the end of the retreat. Um, uh, a guy get up and and he said, "What what do I do about all these lusting thoughts? You know, for other people in the room. You know, how do I work with that? Well, the body, our body, o- offers an opportunity." The mind, obviously, in his case, had gone elsewhere. And so my suggestion was pretty simple. Just let go of that object, come back into your own body, and then you'll have a really full, complete experience of lust in the body. You can watch it where you feel it. You can notice, is it peaceful? Is it agitating? Where is it? You can watch it kind of flower and then dissipate. We have that ability. We can come home in the body and explore. The Buddha, again, he says, there is one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? Mindfulness centered on the body. There's a a legendary Thai Buddhist master, Ajahn Buddhadasa. And when you came to his retreat for a 10-day retreat, um, he would give an instruction. It was more, more like an admonition. And he'd say, don't let anything take you out of your body. Don't let anything take you out of your body. He felt it that important to stay at home. So if you can trust some of the things the Buddha said and some of the lineage of teachers uh, throughout the years, there's really a lot to be gained by learning and training yourself to fall back more readily into this body, into this direct experience. You know, and if you can become more, more sensitized to how often you, your mind and hearts are kind of like thrown elsewhere, scattered all over, and there's no concept of, you know, this living entity. If you can begin to notice that when you're, when you're you know, you then have the opportunity to settle back into the direct experience of the present. I mean, I notice myself during intense periods of activity, and I happen to be in one right now with a couple of projects running simultaneously and deadlines and, you know, tidal waves of emails and questions, many of which I can't answer without doing research, etc., um, how that affects me, you know, losing the sense of this body. And even when I meditate, which I do every morning, the mind starts to get flooded with these things. And when I become aware of my posture, it's like I'm, I'm leaning into something. And what am I leaning into? I'm like kind of grabbing at the future. But it's also very easy when we recognize that. And if we're in a you know, sitting posture like that, it's just a matter of kind of rolling back a little bit physically and it creates some ease. You know, it's just that uh, subconscious survival scanning system that starts operating whenever this kind of primitive area of the brain is concerned about our survival, you know. And it doesn't make any sense, of course. It's reptilian, you know, and it wants us to show up good in our tribe Whatever our thing is, or our presentation, or however, whatever our project is, that deep, deep, you know, early fear of being cast cast out of the tribe um, still is in operation, you know, and it shows up in so many other ways. Those those survival energies we've talked about them a lot here, but they're worth noting, and they're trying to help us. But also, if, if, we, if we're not mindful enough and they control our lives, they'll make us sick. You know, anxiety. You know, more anxiety on top of anxiety. Mindfulness of the body um, really is, it's just such a foundation and a, and a touch point um And it can protect us in some ways against addictions or certain energies that are up in us that are that could cause us harm. I mean even last night uh, I had a I had a meeting some of you were at the meeting and the meeting was over about eight o'clock or so, and then I rushed off to a friend's place to watch the Celtics in their um, playoff game basketball game and so, I was very exciting, and I was and it 's eleven forty five I finally get home, and i 'm like a little bit wired from the game and uh, and so I find myself like i 'm going right to the refrigerator it's eleven forty five I know that's not good. You know we all know that. you know it's just bad, and you have weird dreams and everything that goes with it. But at least last night. I was able to like, all right, what's going on here? Time out. All right, you're a, little, you're a little worked up. What else, you know? Hmm, maybe a little lonely, you know? Ah, you know, this drive to soothe myself with some, with some food in some way. And so then the challenge was, all right, can I just be with these feelings? Do I have to do this? <clears throat> Can I just come into this body and experience directly what's going on? Bring it some kindness. I don't have to be an automaton just reacting to something inside me. But if I wasn't aware, out comes whatever comes out of the refrigerator and down it goes and then the next day it's like, oh, why did I do that? You know. Kabir speaks to this. I said to the wanting creature inside me, what is this river you want to cross? There are no travelers on the river road, and no road. Do you see anyone moving about on that bank, or nesting? There is no river at all, and no boat, and no boatman. There is no tow rope either, and no one to pull it. There is no ground, No sky, no time, no bank, no Ford. And there is no body and no mind. Do you believe there is some place that will make the soul less thirsty? In that great absence, you will find nothing. Be strong, then, and enter into your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else. Kabir says this, just throw away all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which you are. I mean, it's kind of magical as we add moments to our life of being home in the body. I mean, that's kind of what I come up with. It is kind of magical. You know, if, if we can experience that just simply that mix of body sensations emotions rolling through us there's a way that um, there's a way somehow that this our self referential egoic structure starts to get loose and break up we're just experience sensations and emotions they're just rolling through there's a there's a, a we begin to feel a little less ownership of them. We're just, wow, look at this. What an amazing miracle this is. All these weird emotions and sensations, thoughts, they're all changing, changing, changing. And and when we practice it enough, there's more moments where we're not feeling that we're just a separate... Embattled self against all these other separate embattled selves. There's this bubbling, magical kind of fizzy cocktail of sensations, thoughts, emotions happening in this space conveniently called Pat or whatever name we have. So there's some spaciousness that can grow by playing in the body more. The Satipatthana Sutta, which is maybe the most read and studied sutta discourse the Buddha gave, and it's the four foundations of mindfulness. And what I've discovered over the years, I mean, the four foundations, there's paying attention to what's happening in the body, all the changes in the body and various ways to do that. You know, being with the breath, being with body sensations in a certain way, being with different postures, standing, lying, walking, etc looking at the four elements, different ways to practice with the body. Uh, that is so foundational. And then from there, it gets a little more flighty. It's the feeling tone is the second foundation. I'm going to be very brief with these. And that's just noticing the pleasant or unpleasant uh, or neutral flavor that comes with every experience that we have. You know, it's not as grounding as the body, but it's one of the foundations. And then from there, we go into the, into the thinking of the mind and the emotions, which are um, uh, kind of the mind. And then we go into categories of mind. But the Buddha starts with, okay, let's get this foundation in the body. And really, we don't even have to go anywhere. That foundation will deliver all the fruits of practice. And there are whole systems of practice where it's just the body. And some of you have practiced with Gwenka, the scanning technique over and over and over that he learned from Uba Kim, a uh, Burmese master. So, over the years, I've really come to believe that all these other foundations, our ability to, to experience them deeply, noticing all the changes there, it's all enhanced by how powerful our tether is to this body. There's a tantric song that says, Here in my body are sacred rivers. Here are the sun and moon as well as the pilgrimage places. I have not encountered another temple as blissful as my own body. I have not encountered another temple as blissful as my own body. And, it's, and what's so cool about working the body, you don't have to force you know, your attention toward the body or your awareness toward it. It's already there. You're already aware of the body not separate. It's not two different things. And there's joy. there's joy in experiencing this body. Really. Just resting your attention there as you go through the day, these simple activities begin to have a flavor of joy. Whether it's walking, feeling the water when you're washing some dishes, or you know, What is it like, what's going on in your body when you're petting your dog, whatever it might be. And it's very simple why this is. I mean, you you can probably guess it. When you're paying attention to your body, in that moment, there is no anxious planning. There's no worrying. There's no remorse being played over in your head. You're just there. It's like a little vacation. And it is. All the research now is showing that simple act is enhancing certain parts of the brain that have to do with our immune system and joy and everything. Um, Just being in the body, for a moment, it gets us below this tangle of the mind. You know, our little survival friend who's always kind of looking around trying to get it all right. We can take a break from that. It refreshes the whole system. And there's really room, there's spaciousness there. There's room for that heart, that good heart to kind of radiate more powerfully. There's really unlimited warmth and compassion if we can chill a little bit. So I'll finish with a short poem uh, by Franz Kafka. You don't need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Don't even listen. Simply wait. Don't even wait. Be quite still and solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you. To be unmasked, it has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. So the body... We each have one. It's kind of fun to spend time there. I wish you the best.